Can you all hear me all right? Okay, good. Uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much uh, for this day that you've given us, God, the opportunity to partake in the gift of life. Um, every day is a blessing, Lord, every day of life, and we thank you and praise you for the fact that not only are we able to live and breathe and walk and move, Lord, and enjoy the, your beautiful creation, God, but we can also come to this place, Lord, to, uh, to worship you as the body of Christ. God, thank you for the freedoms we have to do this in this nation, Lord. We praise you and thank you for these things. And God, I just pray that you will help us to take advantage of this time, Lord. Uh, may you be glorified and honored in everything that is said um, from behind this pulpit, Lord, and everything that is sung today, Lord, and everything that is spoken and thought. May you be glorified and honored in it all, God, is supreme. And Lord, just please conform all of us here more and more to the image of your Son. And God, help us to always just continue to grow in love for you and love for one another. God, that's the most important thing. And with this year, Lord, coming to a close, I'm pretty sure we're all thankful here for that, God. Um, but we need to go into the next year with a renewed mind and a renewed focus, Lord, upon you and upon our ultimate priority, God, and that's loving you above all else and loving others and believing in your Son and proclaiming salvation through him. So, God, I just pray that you'll help me to do that during this time um, that you've granted me to speak up here, Lord. Guide me by your Spirit. Guide us all. Help us to have our hearts and minds open to Lord what, to whatever you want to say to us through your word this morning. And God, we love you and praise you. Thank you for the gift of your Son, and it's in his name I pray. Amen. All right, well, I want to uh, start by uh, thanking Brother Darvin for the opportunity I have to speak today. Um, and in fact, the last time that I preached was actually right before COVID broke out, and I was down in Panama, and it was in Spanish. So uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm really, I feel very fortunate that I obviously don't have to speak in Spanish today because I was absolutely worn slick out after that. So this will be a nice change, but thank you again. Brother Darwin, for the opportunity to speak. It is a blessing. And this year, it's been difficult, amen? amen? It has been one doozy of a year. We have encountered things and experienced things that we would have never dreamed or imagined, but here we are, the end of 2020. Um, and we need to acknowledge the difficulties of the, this year, that it's been a struggle, but also I think we need to praise God that it's almost over. Amen. I'm ready to move on to 2021, and we pray and hope that it will be better than this year has been, not only for this community and this country, but also for the whole world. And I'd like to start today um, uh, with a verse that I am very thankful for. Uh, Y'all don't have to turn your Bibles there. So I'm just going to read the first half of this verse. But uh, the first half of James chapter 3, verse 2 says, We all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. Now, if James the Apostle acknowledged that we all stumble in many ways. And remember, he used the word we, including himself. If he acknowledged that we all stumble in many ways, then we can take comfort in the fact that God does not require us to live perfect lives in order to enter heaven. We are saved by grace through faith and not by works. And praise God for that. So if you're here today struggling against sin, then uh, that's a good sign. Because whenever we're struggling against something, when we're fighting back against it, that shows that God is working in our lives, that He is convicting us, that He is trying to move us towards holiness and righteousness. So life on this earth is a continuous struggle against sin for the child of God. And dear friend, if you're here today struggling against sin, well, just know that you're not alone in that, and that God is proud of you for struggling and striving to kill 
what does not please Him in your life. That's what we as children of God are called to do, right? We are called to strive for holiness. We are called to strive for righteousness, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and God will fill us with that desired righteousness if we will just trust Him. So if you're here struggling today, just remember that this is normal and that God will help you to grow and to overcome. That being said, it is also becoming increasingly clear in our day and age that many people here in the United States who would call themselves Christians simply do not care about many of their sins. And that is a great cause for concern. And before I go any further, I just want to preface this sermon by saying that I'm saying all these things that I'm saying out of love and out of personal experience and out of concern for the country that I love. Okay? I'm going to say some tough things today about Christianity here in the United States. And it's not from a place of I want people to be condemned or I, I want people to just feel horrible about themselves for the sake of it. It's nothing like that. The fact of the matter is that I've grown up in this country and I've learned to love it and appreciate it even more since I've spent time out of it. Spend time out of this country and then come back to it and you'll learn to really appreciate the freedoms that we have here. And I love this country and I praise God for it. But we have to admit that Christianity, the state of Christianity here in the United States of America should be a cause of great concern Amen. to us all. So that being said, I want to share some quotes with you guys. Um, from some famous Christian uh, leaders that have lived in the United States throughout the past few centuries. Jonathan Edwards, a famous American theologian who lived in the 1700s, said that true salvation always produces an abiding change of nature in a true convert. Therefore, whenever holiness of life does not accompany a confession of conversion, it must be understood that this individual is not a Christian. Dr. Dennis James Kennedy, a prominent American pastor and evangelist who passed away in 2007, said this, The vast majority of people who are members of churches in America today are not Christians. I say that without the slightest fear of contradiction. I base it on empirical evidence of 24 years of examining thousands of people. And finally, A.W. Tozer, an American pastor and author who passed away in 1963, said that it is my opinion that tens of thousands, if not millions, have been brought into some kind of religious experience by accepting Christ, and yet they have not been saved. Now, my question after reading stuff like this is why? Why in the world would men of God say such things as these? Because obviously, I hope they're mistaken. I think we can all agree that we hope that they are mistaken. We hope that they are wrong about these assumptions and these assertions that they have made. But we need to ask ourselves the question, is there truth to what they are saying? Is there any supporting evidence? Because regardless of what our feelings tell us or what we want the situation to be like, we have to look at facts. We have to acknowledge the situation as it is in order for something to become better. So, that being said, moving on, we can move on here to a few statistics to see if there's any supporting evidence to what these guys have said. According to Pew Research Center from 2014, so this was six years ago, remember that, and I think we can all agree that overall, the state of Christianity in America has not grown in holiness much since then. I don't say that with joy or thanksgiving, it's just kind of the fact of the matter based on what we've seen so far. So according to Pew Research Center from 2014, among men and women who identified as Christians here in the United States, 6% were living with a partner outside of marriage, 18% were only fairly certain that God existed. 
33% found religion only to be somewhat important or not important at all. 53% either went to church a few times a year or not at all. 31% either prayed only weekly, monthly, or not at all. 47% seldom or never participated in a prayer group or Bible study. 53% meditated on Scripture once or twice a month or less, with 41% almost never doing it. 55% relied primarily on either philosophy, common sense, or science, so not the Bible, to receive guidance on right and wrong. Only 38% admitted that there are clear standards for what is right and wrong. 54% were, were reading Scripture once or twice a month or less. Only 39% admitted that the Word of God should be taken literally. 14% either didn't believe in heaven or didn't know. 30% either didn't believe in hell or didn't know. 40% supported the Democratic Party, which was promoting and celebrating the slaughter of unborn children. 18% identified as outright liberal. 45% said that abortion should be legal. 54% said that homosexuality should be accepted. 44% were in favor of same-sex marriage. And 21% believed in Darwinian evolution. And additionally, according to Barna Research in 2020, only one in four Americans is a practicing Christian, with practicing Christian being defined as identifying that one is a Christian, agreeing strongly that faith is very important, and having attended church within the past month. And friends, that isn't even close to the complete picture of what a real practicing Christian is, according to Scripture. And millions of Americans call themselves Christians, so these numbers, these percentages represent tens of millions of people who are either living in direct rebellion against the Word of God unrepentantly or whose lives do not reflect a real desire to know and to love the living God, a real desire that true Christians should have, normally speaking. And these are, these are statistics, not opinions, okay? I'm not just blowing smoke up here. This is, isn't stuff that I came up with. This, these are statistics taken by research groups that know what they're talking about. These are statistics, not opinions. And this is what people merely said in a survey. Imagine how many less actually practice what the Word of God tells them to do as a style of life. You know, you can, uh, you can, if you're just talking the talk and not walking the walk, you'll do just fine on a survey, okay? So that has to be considered as well. And furthermore, going from experience, what I've witnessed this year personally here in the U.S. has troubled me as well. Because instead of responding to the various crises of 2020 with prayer, fasting, and turning to God, I've seen so much more of bitterness, anger, hatred, rage, and division in the American church. You know, about 20 years ago, 9-11 happened, and I was a little kid uh, during that time, so I don't remember much about it, but I've always heard about how a lot of America seemed to turn back to God during that time. When we were faced with such a horrible crisis such as 9-11, we went to our knees in prayer. But what we've done this year is we've gone to our thumbs on our phones and we've ranted and raved on social media and we've complained and griped and whined. We've jumped on false narratives and social media trends instead of proclaiming the Word of God. Amen. We've used our freedom as an excuse to rebel against God's clear command to submit to the governing authorities as long as we're not sinning and going against His Word. 
We are much more concerned about politics and our personal rights than we are the thousands of lost souls that are going to hell every single day. We've set our minds on earthly things rather than heavenly things. And we get fired up in a church service, but then never show up to a Bible study, prayer meeting, or other ministry of the church. And this has been the general response that we've seen. I know there's exceptions to this. I know that there are plenty of Christians out there here in the United States who have turned to God, who have grown closer to God, who have been proclaiming the truth. I'm not denying that. I'm just talking about generally, overall, this has kind of been the response that we've seen. And it's been unrepentant for the most part. There's not some revival, as far as I know, y'all can tell me if I'm wrong, but as far as, according to my knowledge, there's not been some big revival breaking out, breaking out across America where millions and millions of people are turning to Christ and being saved and turning their eyes upon God and not to the media or their phones or news outlets. But the Bible, we have to understand the Bible itself, it is no stranger to these patterns of behavior in life that we see every day. Take the book of Nehemiah, for example. Now, chronologically, the, book, the contents of the book of Nehemiah are some of the last to occur in the Old Testament era. And in fact, Nehemiah and the prophet Malachi were likely contemporaries. So Nehemiah was living towards the end of the Old Testament era. And in Nehemiah chapter 10, the people of Jerusalem make a covenant with God to forsake sin and to do His will. Yet, if you've ever read the book, you'll know that in chapter 13... These same people have already broken that covenant. And they didn't just break it. They shattered it into a million pieces. They had, give, they had given a pagan enemy of Israel a room in the temple. In God's temple. This was desecration of God's house. To bring a pagan to live in the holy place, in God's house where he was worshipped. That was desecration of the temple. Yet they had done it. And the Levites who served in the temple, who helped with temple worship, they were not being given material support from the people. Therefore, the worship of God, temple worship, it was being neglected. Many of the Jews in Jerusalem were also desecrating the Sabbath day by working during it. And many of the people had married into the surrounding pagan nations, including the family of the high priest. They were marrying into these pagan nations that surrounded them and they were having their hearts led astray to worship other gods. And these were the very things that led God to send Judah into exile in the first place. These were the very things that brought God's judgment and His wrath down upon the people of Judah. And they were the very specific, word for word, the same things that the people promised to God that they would not go back to in Nehemiah chapter 10. Yet they went back to it all. So chronologically, this is actually how the Old Testament ends. God graciously redeems His people from exile, although they did not deserve it. Yet they continue to sin and rebel against Him unrepentantly. The end. That's how the Old Testament ends. How bleak is that? How bleak is that? I mean, really? Like after everything that had gone on, really to do that? I mean, what is going on here? What is the problem? We need to ask. Here lies the problem, my brothers and sisters. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I'll read that one more time. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
The human heart is mortally infected with sin. And humanly speaking, it is incurable. And it is so filled with wickedness that mere man cannot fully understand its depths. So why do people live in rebellion against God? Why do they say that they're going to do something for God, that they're going to live for God, and they never end up doing it? They live for themselves? It's because their hearts haven't been transformed. It's because they are spiritually dead. And I am afraid that many of our churches here in America today are filled with spiritually dead people. Now, I hope you know that I'm not saying that I don't believe there's Christians in America anymore. Of course I do. I still believe that we have millions of true Christians in our churches today. But, according to the evidence we've already looked at today, it seems pretty obvious that there are also millions of people attending our churches who are not saved, who are living in unrepentant sin against God, who are bearing the fruits of wickedness as a style of life instead of the fruits of righteousness. And that is my fear. And that is the reason why we see so many professing Christians today hooked on pornography, living in adultery, filled with hatred, loving the world more than God, speaking death instead of life. Yet Scripture says, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved, how often do we see these things not merely being committed, but being practiced unrepentantly by people who, who would identify as Christians? But according to this scripture, they're not Christians. If they are practicing these things unrepentantly, refusing to turn from their sin, then according to this scripture, they're not on their way to heaven. And I want to pause here and make a, an important distinction. I think it's all, that I think is really important for us all to realize and to grasp. There's a difference between struggling against sin and living in it unrepentantly. Like I said before, when you're struggling against it, when, you, and I'm, when I say struggle, I'm not just saying you feel bad about it and you try to fix it every now and then. I'm talking about waging all-out war against it, confessing it every time to God when you commit it, and asking God to help you repent. I'm talking about actually you know, making serious efforts to strive against sin. That, that is a good sign when you are trying to put the works of the flesh to death. That shows that the Holy Spirit is within you and is fighting back. But living in sin unrepentantly is continuing to indulge in the same sin day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and not making serious efforts at repentance. And this is why Jesus, he said in Matthew chapter 5, that if we are being led to stumble by something over and over and over that we need to cut off our hand or gouge out our eye because it's better to enter life maimed than it is to go with both hands and both eyes into hell. So repentance is necessary, but repentance, and even imperfect repentance, is a good sign. But a lack of repentance is not a good sign. And Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, that only those who do the will of the Father will enter heaven. Proverbs 11.19 says that whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. 
And Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verses 9-10, through 10, that there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. And notice that the emphasis in these passages, surprisingly, are upon works. Because you see, the way we live our lives reveals what's in our hearts. And according to Jesus, also in Luke chapter 6, the way we speak reveals the condition of our hearts as well. If you really want to know what is within your heart, pay attention to the way you speak. Pay attention to the things that come out of your mouth, because the mouth is a window to the condition of the heart. And yes, we all stumble in many ways. In the context of that passage in James chapter 3, he's talking about the sins of the tongue. So do we all stumble in many ways with our tongues? Yes, we do. But once again, are we striving to kill that sin or are we just content with it and not really caring about it at all? And we don't save ourselves through good works. I want to make that abundantly clear. We do not ever save ourselves through good works or earn our way into heaven. But a life characterized by good works proves that we are saved that we have been transformed by God. And yes, true Christians stumble in many ways every day of their life, but they do not practice sin and rebellion against God. And you see, society, whenever society is faced with problems, whenever it realizes, you know, that there's something really wrong in the world because there are all sorts of heinous things being committed both in this country and outside of it. You know, society is not completely oblivious to that, even though it seems like it is sometimes. And when they realize, you know, that something really bad is going on, they will usually turn to things like entertainment, politics, different religions, science, education, reform, discussion, conversation, statistics, things like this. And don't get me wrong, some of these things most certainly can be used for good, but they are not the main solution to our problem. Trying to use these things to solve the problem of the human heart and the, the human condition is like trying to put a band-aid over a sliced artery. It does not work. It won't work. But thankfully, let's praise God for this, God, He knows better than we do. He knows so much better than we do about ourselves and about the condition of our hearts, and He knows better than we do in regards to how we must respond to these things. God knows what the solution is. So, with that being said, turn with me to John chapter 3. It's going to be our main text today. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So we can find God's solution to the problem of the human heart. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Okay, starting in verse 1, John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
So we see here that Nicodemus, a prominent Jewish leader who was actually a member of the Jewish ruling council known as the Sanhedrin, he showed interest in Jesus and in Jesus' teachings. Therefore, he comes to have a conversation with Christ at night. <clears throat> and at Nicodemus also, I think I forgot to mention this, but it says in the text here, it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So Nicodemus was a, a Jewish ruler. He was a Pharisee. And he comes to Christ at night to have a conversation. <clears throat> now, it must be understood that the Pharisees were some of the most righteous people of their day, externally speaking. They were incredibly religious, and they would have been seen by the common people as good, holy men. These were the religious leaders of their day. They were greeted by people in the marketplaces. They were looked upon with great esteem by the people because they were able to you know, walk the walk just enough to get by for the praise of man. But God, God on the other hand, saw through their religiosity, He saw the wickedness of their hearts, and their hypocrisy. So Jesus tells this Pharisee, this Jewish religious leader who is supposed to be leading the people close to God, he tells this man that he will not go to heaven unless he is born again. And the Greek term for born again can also mean born from above. The term is purposely ambiguous. It has a double meaning. It can mean born again or born from above. So what Jesus is saying here is that in order to be saved, a person must receive a new birth from God. They must receive a new birth from heaven. They must receive new spiritual life from God. And this is why Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in Christ, we are made new. We are given new spiritual life. We are new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful work that God does within us. But we have to experience it in order to enter heaven, or we will not see the kingdom without it. My dear friends, we have to be made ready. We have to be made ready for heaven. The heart of rebellion, this sin-sick heart, it has to be removed, and it, <clears throat> it has to be replaced. And looking back at the passage here, Focusing specifically on verse 5, says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the unbeliever has to be born of water and the Spirit. And the water referred to by Jesus in this passage is most likely a reference to an Old Testament passage found in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27 which says, I, and, that, and this is God speaking, I, God, will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. So cleansing with water in this passage, it is symbolic of spiritual cleansing and spiritual renewal. And notice here that the new birth is actually being spoken of in advance by Ezekiel. A man who lived hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ, he is literally spelling out what the new birth is. When God says that He will cleanse His people from their impurity and their idols. He will give them a new heart and a new spirit. He will remove the heart of stone from them and give them a heart of flesh. 
He will put His Spirit within them and He will cause them to walk in His commandments. This is the new birth. This is a prophecy of the new birth. The new birth that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. And everyone on earth must experience this in order to become a child of God. Because without it, you won't be ready for heaven. And if you're not ready for heaven, God is not going to send you there. But now we have to ask the question, how do we come to experience the new birth? Well, it's quite simple, actually. It's by believing upon Christ. And it's not simply acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior. You know, that's the Sunday school answer that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Lord. And that's 100% true. But it's not merely enough to acknowledge that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is Lord, because Satan knows that. Satan's demons know that, that Christ is King. It is by trusting, it's more than that, it's by trusting in Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, acknowledging your sin and your rebelling and accepting Christ as King of your life and Savior from your sins. It's personal. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-9 through 9 is very clear about this. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For by grace you have been saved. So God, God, He begins, continues, and completes our salvation. He is the Savior. We do not save ourselves. If you're here and you're stressed out thinking, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta earn it, I gotta perform well, I gotta do this, 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 and that, it's not like that. It's not like that. God is the one who saves. Now, do we participate with Him in that? Do we read Scripture and become sanctified through that more? Of course we do. But God is the one who saves. We trust in Him 100% to save us from our sins, and we accept Christ. As the Lord of our lives, it is by faith, and God does the heavy lifting. God is the one that does the heavy lifting. Look back at what He promises to do in Ezekiel chapter 36. He promises to cleanse us from our sins and from our idols. He gives us the power for that. He gives us a new heart and a new spirit. We don't go out and find it. We don't conjure it up in ourselves. He gives it to us. He removes the heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. He gives us a heart that naturally desires to love Him and to know Him and to pursue what is holy and good and righteous in His sight. He puts His Spirit within us that will lead us and guide us down paths of righteousness for His sake. And He will cause us to walk in His commandments. So what I want to be clear about is I'm not getting up here saying that you need to tie up your moral bootstraps and go out and live a righteous life under your own power because you'll never be able to. It's only through God and through Christ and through His Spirit that we can live a righteous life. And if you're here today and you're actually born again, then praise God for that. Submit to the Spirit's leading. Let Him sanctify you through and through. Participate with Him in that process by prayer, going to church, going to Bible studies, prayer meetings, ministries of the church, listening to preaching, reading the Word, all these things. Participate with Him in that. But if you're here today realizing that you have been born again, then what I don't want you to think is that you got to go out and earn your way into heaven. Because as we've already seen, God is the one that does the heavy lifting. It's by faith and faith 100% in His work. And God's work of salvation, when it comes, it will most certainly lead us to grow in holiness. Yes, we stumble in many ways. 
But as true believers, our lives will be gradually marked more and more by righteousness and love for God than it will be by sin and rebellion. We will be marked and known by our fruits. So in closing, looking back at this passage in John chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus tells Nicodemus, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Do not marvel. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Do not be surprised that humanity needs to be born again. Because guess what? It's not a surprise at all that we need spiritual rebirth. I mean, look at the world that we live in. Our country is spiritually dying. Corruption fills the media and our government and our schools and our jobs and even our homes. And it seems all the while like no one is talking about this, about the real problem and the real solution. We want to talk about all the things that are wrong with this country and this world. But the main problem, the thing that matters more than anything else is whether or not we're going to go to heaven, whether or not we have been born again. That is the center of the matter. And I've been so tired this year of seeing supposed Christian leaders focus on all these different things, but never preaching the true Christian gospel. Whenever people are spiritually dying, people are going to hell every single day, but we are more concerned about ourselves and how much we can get from this country and how many more freedoms we can earn for ourselves than we are about proclaiming the gospel and focusing on the real problem. Because the United States of America and this entire world we live in and every country, it's going to pass away. These things are temporary. But heaven and hell, those two places, those are eternal. And we're going to one or the other. So it isn't a surprise we need to be born again. And all the while, all the while, while we're focused on the wrong things, God loves sinners. And He offers His love and His grace and His mercy to them. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's read that one more time. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were God's enemies, when we were rebels, when we didn't want anything to do with Him, when we wanted to be the God of our own lives, when we, we wanted anything else or anyone else besides the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God still loved us because God is love. He loved us and He sent His Son to die for us. So let's proclaim this, church. This is what we need to be focused on. This is what we need to be proclaiming. This is what we need to be putting out there on social media. The world needs to know about this great love because without it, it won't have any hope. The world needs to know about this great love in which God sent His only Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. God poured out His wrath upon Jesus on the cross, the wrath that we deserved, the punishment, the pain, the suffering, the isolation from God that we all deserved, he poured out that wrath upon His Son and punished our sins through the body of His Son. Therefore, through Christ, we can have complete forgiveness of sins and a new spiritual life and relationship with the living God. This is what matters. This is our focus. This should be what our lives are centered around. Because all the things that are happening... All of the things that are messed up and just going crazy in this world can be tied back to the problem of the human heart. And we walk 
past lost souls every single day. And we don't think twice about it. Our focus needs to be renewed. And if you're here today realizing that you haven't been born again, that you are living a lifestyle that is contrary to the Word of God unrepentantly, and then now is, the, now is the time. Now is the time to surrender truly to Christ. That's why the Scripture says that today is the day of salvation. It doesn't say tomorrow is the day of salvation. It never says that. It says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to truly repent of your sins and to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the end of our lives can come at any moment. Not a single one of us here has promised that we're going to make it home when we walk out those doors. Every breath... Every heartbeat, every moment is a gift from God. And there's thousands of people out there every single day. Even since I started this sermon, there's people whose lights have gone out, their hearts have stopped beating, and they have to stand before God and be condemned to an eternity in hell because they never knew about the new birth or they refuse to accept the new birth, the gracious gift of life that God offers. So if you're here today realizing you haven't been born again, then now's the time. Now is the time to cry out to Jesus, truly asking Him for forgiveness of your sins and making the commitment by faith to repent of your sins, to turn from your sins, because repentance starts in the mind. Repentance is about a change of mind. You change your mind, you decide, I'm going to hate the things that God hates, I'm going to love the things that God loves, and that change of mind will result in a change of action. And for the rest of you here today that have been born again, I challenge you all, and I challenge myself to refocus. Because listen, I get it. I have been distracted myself this year. And who, who wouldn't have been distracted, at least in part, by all the craziness that we have seen, both in our country and in the entire world? But we have to be refocused. We have to center ourselves upon the foundation, which is Jesus Christ and the gospel, the message of the kingdom of God, that God has come to take back over this creation through the death and resurrection of His Son. So going into the new year, that's my challenge for all of you here who are truly saved. That we turn from our sins and that we seek the heart of the God who has saved us and has given us life. That should be our new year's resolution, especially after the craziness we've endured this year. To refocus, to be renewed in our hearts and our minds. And we should be all about action and not talk. I'm so tired of Christians in America, including myself at times, Okay, I'm not letting myself off the hook, saying that we're going to pursue God more, that we're going to know Him more, that we are going to do all the things that He wants us to do, and then we maybe do one thing for a week. That's not how it should be, church. God has saved us. He gave His Son for us. His one and only Son, that we could be saved through Him. And since Christ has given His very all for us, we owe Him our very all for the rest of our lives on this earth and for all eternity. So that's my encouragement, my challenge to you all and to myself. Let's stand. If you're here today and you want to come forward to pray for any reason, consider the altars open. That will just be your decision between you and the Lord. I do ask if you do come forward, just try to space out a little bit. Um, just to respect those here who might want us to. Um, but just consider the words that have been spoken here today in this scripture. The need to be born again and the need for people who are born again to proclaim that great message of salvation. Consider these things. Let's pray.
God, we need you. We have always needed you, Lord, and we will always need you. And God, this country needs you. And the churches in this country need you, God. We need spiritual rebirth among so many people in our countries, Lord. And I just pray that you will be working in and through our churches, God. I pray for, for preachers all across this nation, God, that they will stand up and that they will proclaim the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, that they will not be distracted by what the media is saying or by what's popping up on their social media feeds. God, I pray that they will be immersed in your word. And I pray for myself and everyone here, God, that we will be immersed in your word and that we will be focused, that we will have a renewed focus, a renewed attention upon your word, upon prayer, and upon pursuing you and seeking you, God. Because you say in your word that if we will seek you with all our hearts, that we will find you, God. And there is nothing better than that. So God, I just pray, but I pray for everyone here that they will be renewed. I pray that they will be conformed more to the image of Christ, God. And I pray for anyone here who may not be born again, who may be living a lifestyle that is contrary to your word, God. I pray for anyone here who may be in that position, God. I pray that you will save their souls. I pray that you will convict them of their sins by the Holy Spirit and that you will renew their hearts and bring them into living relationship with you, God. Because Christ, he came to give us abundant life, but that abundant life can only come when we've had our sins forgiven by you, Father. Now, thank you for giving Christ to this world that we did not deserve him. And Lord, we thank you for, for Christmas time and, and what it represents that the Savior has come into the world and that he has accomplished all you wanted him to do, Father. So I just pray, God, that Christ will be winning souls, both in this church and the churches in our communities and out on the streets of this nation, God. I pray that you will be bringing many people to know you, Lord, both here and abroad. God, we love you and we praise you. Forgive us for our failures. God, we are but dust. You know that. You know that we are fragile and frail and that we're so easily pulled here and there by the cares and worries of this world, God. But just help us to be more centered. Help us to be people who truly love you with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind, and all of our strength, God. Help us to do it individually and collectively, Lord. And just bring revival to this nation. And it starts with us as individuals, God, making the decision to seek you. Forgive me for my own failures, Lord, for not pursuing you like I should. And lead me to repent of that and to continue to do what you've called me to do, Lord. And may it be the same for everyone else here, God. We love you and we praise you. Thank you for getting us through this year. For all the many good things that you've done this year, Lord, help us to not forget. And may we honor you and glorify you always in everything we say, think, and do, Lord. Lead us and guide us by your good spirit. May you be glorified in all. In Jesus' name, amen.